ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Question. How can you increase your percentage of closed deals at the end of the prospecting process? Hi, this is Alan Meyer and welcome to the Sales is Easy channel, a place where we simplify and demystify the sales process and help you with learning the formula to overcome setbacks and make sales easy. I firmly believe when done by skilled professional, sales is easy. So in today's episode, we will cover something very intriguing and improving the pipeline stages that you all have. So the question was, how can you increase your percentage of closed deals at the end of the prospecting process? And the answer is this, start at the front end by properly qualifying the initial prospect. But wait, there is one initial step necessary prior to defining the perfect sales lead. Step one requires a thorough understanding of the stages necessary to move a lead from a prospect to a closed deal. We call these pipeline stages and they define where a lead is as it moves through your sales funnel. The naming convention for these stages could be as simple or complex as your product or service warrants. But if you don't define these stages, then you and your team and your colleagues will reside in the Tower of Babel. Without speaking the same language, you won't be effective in defining and tracking the various stages of your sales pipeline. Now that could really mess up your forecasting report. If you're a sales manager, the best way to figure out the unique naming convention for pipeline stages is to simply work backwards from the close, recreating the various steps that lead took to reach the contract signing. Obviously, if your product or your service is large or high dollar value and has a long closing cycle, you may add more pipeline stages, that's logical. For example, if you're selling a multi-million dollar software package to a large manufacturer, you may want to add the stage in legal review. You know that. Generally though, we like to keep things simple. Selling is complex all on its own, and many times your CRM product will create naming conventions depending upon your subscription level. For example, lower level salesforce.com subscriptions have the following sales pipeline stages pre-programmed. We start with prospecting, where you define the target, you are starting the process. Then needs analysis, you had one or maybe more conversations with your client to uncover their pain points. Then comes proposal or price quote, where you're showing them the money. Closed one, you're gone to happy hour. Closed lost, <laughs> you're gone to happy hour. We actually think it's a pretty, pretty decent naming convention to describe most of the typical pipeline process within my company as well, no matter what product or service you're currently offering. 
but perhaps you could add one category to this excellent mix called closed disqualified. This stage will fall just after the needs analysis. So your pipeline stages would run like this. Prospecting, needs analysis, then you add a level disqualified for whatever reason. Maybe it's no budget, no interest, whatever it is, as long as you find out what's the reason why they are not buying or they are not qualified. And simply they are not a good uh, potential, good lead for your company. Next stage is, of course, proposal, price quote, and then closed one, closed lost. Now, I would like to encourage anybody to look at this qualification as a really positive step. Why I'm saying this? Because you and your colleagues, you will not waste time beating a dead horse. The horse is deceased, dumped it out of your funnel, making rum room for more living, breeding ponies. And if the pipe is getting clogged with these, have a disqualification contest as a way to clean your house. Now, next question is, what makes a good lead? A good lead is one that closes. Of course. No, seriously. What did you think I'm going to say now? A kidding aside. If you don't take time to understand the target, you will never have a chance of figuring out where it's hiding, let alone hitting it. So the real answer to this question is a good lead is a qualified lead. Here are two important considerations that are sometimes missed when qualifying a lead. First, do you have the right decision maker? That's a really important question. Let's face it. Sometimes we get excited. If you call calling a company and you strike a bond and rapport with a lower level executive, it feels perfect, right? It gives you hope. There is the possibility that the executive would be willing to introduce you up the chain of command to someone who really might say yes. It's true that this has happened, but, and here comes big but, but in my experience in 29 years in international sales, this scenario requires that lower level executive go to his or her boss and sell your company more than you are. And you have to admit that's a little awkward. Once you research chain of command and who really makes the decisions, then why not pick up the phone and start there? Send an email, get the contact, or you can even ask a simple question. Who else beside you should be involved in this kind of conversations? If you ask a person, are you the decision maker? Of course, they will say, yes, I am. Even I need to ask my boss for everything, right? Now, people will not really admit if they are not, not uh, decision makers on a specific topic. But if you try to include them and other people and, and ask who else should be involved in this kind of conversations, then you can get some names, maybe contacts, maybe you can even start planning how to approach them. Second really important question, and I know it's, it's basic, it's what we should all know, but you will be surprised how many salespeople simply skip over this one or pretend they know or they just assume the customers have money. Question is, do they have the budget? Depending upon your industry and the tools at your disposal, you may be able to answer this question through diligent research. If you're responding to a simple request for proposal or request for quote, then the monetary value is often spelled out. But be aware, if you receive requests for quote, very often we see the, our competitor's description of the product or service they're looking for. That means that somebody else whispered in their ear before you start the conversation. So maybe you are a few steps already behind. It happened to me recently where they asked me for a request for a proposal for sales training. And what happened is they actually specif specified the training that uh, I cannot provide 
first and foremost. And second, I know exactly who, from whom they copy this training. So you know how hard it is to change the description of request for proposal or quote? It's impossible. So I was already late and we didn't want to actually send them the, the, our quote, our proposal. And they follow up saying, you know, we have to do this. We have, we have to have your proposal on the table. That's fine, but it's a waste of time. I, you, they, they didn't want to answer any basic questions. I started with asking simple questions. You know, what kind of sales thing they had before? What's the experience? Uh, what did they like? What they didn't like? Like, what's the ROI? And many different questions. And they didn't answer. So just uh, send us your quote. Send us a quote. That's not a good prospect. That's not, that, uh, that's not really a good opportunity for me. You know that. So back to the budget. Many times budget is not disclosed. You will not walk into the meeting and say, hey guys, you have 50 million to invest in my software? No? Okay, let's move on. That's not the case. But budget is not disclosed and price either kills the deal or end up as a key factor in the closing negotiations. So my answer to this dilemma is to go to price as part of the pipeline qualification process. But don't be afraid of this step. Remember, disqualification is actually a success. It allows you to move on to bigger and better things. There is an art to tackling the budget question though, and I don't recommend boldly asking, so what's your budget? That sounds greedy and could create a distrust vibe in your otherwise maybe perfectly friendly conversation. The right way to approach the budget question is after you have a clear understanding of their potential wants and their potential needs. Then you can share you have the right mix of products and services to help them solve the problem. Describe what you can do and then state that the typical budget for this service ranges from X to Y. Usually the, the cost of this kind of software starts from 1 million to 3 million, but depends on your needs. And then you conclude by saying you would love to put together a proposal that out, outlines what you've been discussed already. Would they be comfortable with that? And boom, you go on to price. It did not hurt. It was honest and didn't waste anyone's time and now the client should either disqualify themselves or ask for the proposal in a more complex environment where i'm actually spending last five years uh, working with one global company of course uh, they have uh, we're talking about the huge budgeting uh, projects and and huge infrastructure projects so you know the, you will not ask about the budget but here's the one thing when you start talking about the money and you start feeling that people are wiggling it out, you know, they have something in their mind. And you can even simply say something like this, and this is my favorite one. Let's forget about the money. Let's forget about the budget for a second. Do you see the value in my proposal? Do you see the value in what we just showed to you? Do you see the value in the service or anything that we are providing here? And then observe human reactions. People will tell you everything you need to know if you know what you're looking for and if you pay attention. So usually, you know, if, if it's a clear-cut uh, case, then they say, yeah, of course, you know, uh, we see the value, but our budgeting process is in January. We have to follow the rules, regulations, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But in majority of cases, clients start looking at each other and they start saying something, well, you know. So it's very, very often, it's not a question, it's just a question of budget. It's a question of creating enough value in their eyes to differentiate yourself from your competitor. And if you ask this kind of disqualifying questions, do you see your company benefiting from my training? If they say, well, yeah, well, well means something is hidden behind the curtain. I need to figure it out. What's the obstacle? What's the problem? Yes, money will always be a part of discussion, but 
very often we salespeople think that money is the crucial part of negotiation. It's not. If they don't see enough value in what you are proposing, if they don't see enough value in in bringing your solution to the table, then they'll hide behind the money. They hide behind the budget. I had actually I worked with one uh, big software company <laughs> maybe few few years ago. And uh, they had actually implemented an interesting uh, game trick. When clients ask too early for the price, I instruct them, do this. Next time a client is asking how much your software costs, tell them it's 20 million. But if you answer 10, 12 questions, it could be 5 million. And clients look at like, like, what you mean by that? Like, well, guess what? We have a complex software solution. Maybe you don't need a whole solution. Maybe you need just a part. We will tailor your uh, they will tell you the solution to your specific needs maybe you need a b and d you don't need a c maybe you need a b c d e f whatever it is but let's figure it out together let's discuss this and this is how you create a joint venture together with your customers to work together on their solution and this is how actually things start implemented in the uh, request for proposal because even if they like you in the big companies big corporations they need to have three or five proposals on the table but you will be the person who's gonna whisper in their ear who will instruct your prospects what to put in a request for proposal so that's your chance to it but going back to the to the Two important questions. So always think about it. Do, do I speak with the right decision makers? Maybe it's on a business side. Maybe it's on a technical side. Does not matter. As long as you know that the people are in the room who should be in the room. And of course, uh, sometimes when clients say, well, it's not in our budget. I, I, I actually dealt with one huge German telecom and uh, their revenue was like, I believe, 65 billion euros that year. And the discussion we had, it's like, yeah, no, we don't have money. The message was actually, yes, we have a lots of money. We have a great revenue. We are growing, but we have no money for you. So think about the next time when clients have, we don't have a budget. Do they have money in general or do they have money, but they don't want to spend it on you? I mean, if you're selling to my and pa shop and you offer $2 million solutions, of course, they cannot afford it. That's crazy. Now, that's, not your, that's not even your target market. But if you speak with the big corporations, big companies who should have 100,000, 1 million, 5 million, whatever the price of what you're selling is, then think about it. Did I create enough value so we can skip the budget for now, discussion on the budget, and try to create more value so they are willing to open their purse? I hope this makes sense. Anyway, I started today's uh, podcast with an interesting question. And the question was, how can you increase your percentage of closed deals at the end of the prospecting process? And my answer was, start at the front end by properly qualifying the initial prospect. You'll be surprised how many companies are not doing this properly. And they're chasing ghosts. They're chasing non-existing accounts or the accounts that have opportunity there. Or the worst thing is they are way under the, the budget and they are not even close to be a target market. So make sure that you properly qualify your initial prospects. I hope this was useful. And uh, if you really want to continue learning about this topic, I have a special training on salesiseasy.com website. And if you go there and if you put the special code and the code is... So put the code PODCAST100 and you can get access to this course, Robust Sales Funnel, completely free. This is only for people who listen to the end of this podcast. For any questions, feel free to reach out to me via LinkedIn message or on a contact page on salesiseasy.com website. And uh, if you have any specific question, I'll be more than happy to feature it in my upcoming podcast. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast because we are releasing interesting podcasts on a regular basis. They're all 
10-15-20 minutes long so small chunks of uh, training but it can help you really start thinking a little differently and start simplifying the way how to sell this is Alan Meyer for Sales is Easy Podcast thank you for listening Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab, an electric cast production. See you there. Electric acid.